Anyway, it, I tell you, it does my heart good to uh, see us gathered like this. We've not been together in one place since uh, the fall of 2000. So it's been almost nine years since we've gathered in one spot. And I think that it is historically significant that we're here at Maryville High School because the old timers will remember that for 72 Sundays in 1999 into 2000, we met at Maryville High School every single Sunday and had to set up and tear down and set up and tear down while we built our uh, facility on Broadway. And uh, I don't know that if anybody would have said, you know, someday you're actually going to need the stadium to have a service, that any of us would have believed it. But this is God's goodness to us. And just to look around here and to see this uh, church gathered here is, uh, I'm, I am thrilled. This is a great day for our church. And I I want to uh, I want to thank as well. We had so many volunteers that uh, worked and staff that worked. We had people here at six thirty this morning setting things up, getting everything together. Uh, the Maryville uh, school system and uh, just all of them that coordinated this with us. I'd like to say thank you to all of them. I'd like us to say thank you to them. Could we do that right now for all who helped pull this thing off today? Thank you. Now, we are having a shorter than normal service today, which means that I am having a shorter than normal sermon today, and uh, don't clap on that, and given the fact that it's Father's Day, I want to talk with you today about how fathers become dads and how boys become men. How fathers become dads and boys become men. Men and dads are in short supply in America. You can go to almost any church and you will see that men and dads are in short supply in churches as well. And, you know, there are a lot of males who have never become men and a lot of fathers who have never become dads. And so I'd like to begin by defining the terms here for us today. First of all, what is a boy? A boy is a male. He did nothing for that. He was born that way. It was the first thing that defined him. They said, what is it? It's a boy. And everybody said, oh, that's great. It's a, it's a boy. A boy is a male. And he'll be a male all his life. The tragedy, though, is when a boy stays a boy all his life and he never becomes a man. You know, there's a huge difference between being a male and being a man. And I'm speaking most directly to the men that are here today. Ladies, you're along for the ride. I'm talking to men today. There is a massive difference between being male and being a man. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, what I mean by that is a man is a male who willingly embraces the responsibilities of biblical manhood as God defines it. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, I mean that manhood has to do with how I relate. Manhood has to do with how I relate. First of all, how I relate to my God, how I relate to other men, and how I relate to women. A real man relates to God in worship and obedience. That's a real man. 
a real man relates to other men like Jesus related to other men. And if you read through the Gospels, you'll see that Jesus was a man that other men wanted to be around. Other men sought him out. Even in the night, Nicodemus wanted a little time with Jesus. He was a manly man. He was masculine. And men were attracted to him like nobody else in history. And we find in Jesus an ability to relate to men. He developed friendship with them. He developed camaraderie with them. He had time for men. The Bible describes real men as being able to go deep in friendship with other men. This is Proverbs twenty-seven, seventeen: As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens the countenance of his friend. A real man is not the single man doesn't need anybody in his life. A real man is a man who has great friendship capability with other men. And then a real man relates to women with tender masculinity and with his wife, biblical husbandry. And this, of course, has to do with honoring and protecting women. You know, for centuries, this was a man's call, was to honor and protect Women, men went to war to fight for the protection of their women and their children. When the boat is going down, it is always uh, women and children first to the lifeboats. This role as protector and honoring and treasuring is the role of the real man. And there's something inside all of us that tells us that that's the way that it ought to be. It is good and right. So we could say it this way. Men, listen to me. A real man, a biblical man, is a God-centered man. In his heart, there is a passion for God, which flows out in these relationships in biblical and God-honoring ways. This is the opposite of man in our culture. We have the feminizing of men going on today, where... Perhaps well-intentioned women are trying to emasculate their men and to make them actually women. We don't need men who are women. We need men who are men. And that is countercultural in our society today. But this is the call of the Scriptures. And this is the, the pattern of Christianity. A man who embraces God's design for manhood. Now, what is that design then? We could ask if a real man is a man who embraces God, is God-centered, and this shows out in relationships, and he is uh, embracing God's design for manhood. What is that design? And since we don't have PowerPoint here this morning, I'm saying it in a way that is going to be easy to remember. To be a man is to be a leader, and to be a man is to be a lover. A leader and a lover. A man is called to lead in his marriage and to lead in his home. But this leadership is shaped by love, which keeps the man who in his home may be a husband and a father from being domineering or oppressive in his relationships within the home. He is, he is a leader, but he is a lover. He is the leader who loves. He is the sacrificial leader. And this is, of course, Ephesians 5, where it says this, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. 
So we look at Christ to see the model. And of course, what is the emblem of how Christ leads the church? It is the cross. It is the gospel that Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners. He said, I have not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Christ came as a leader, most definitely, but he came to lead in love. He came to lead in sacrifice. And the cross is the emblem of how he did it. And Christ is the greatest man who ever lived, the most masculine man who has ever lived. And we see in him sacrificial love for us. He is leader and lover. And I'm here to say to to you men today specifically that real men, as God designed it, embrace that call in their home and in their life. And they seek to fulfill it with their life. It is lead and love. It is strength and tenderness. That velvet steel of masculinity. This is the real man. And of course, this is this is masculinity as Jesus embodied it. You know, I've never liked these pictures of the effeminate Jesus hanging on the cross. You know, where he, he's just, he looks, he looks like a, a, a woman with a man's head on it or something. I mean, he's just sort of, he's just sort of weak. And you get the idea of, of Jesus as being something less than real manhood. Men would never have gathered around a man like that. And yet the whole world ran to be near Jesus. And we see even in his disciples, we see a cross section of manhood from the day. We've got blue collar fishermen and we've got, uh, we, we've got the financier and we've got the revolutionary all within his, within his disciples. They saw something compelling in Jesus. There was a manliness about him. And when he asked them to follow them, him they did so in my brief time here today here's what i want to do i want to challenge the males here to be men and i want to challenge the fathers to be dads i want to challenge the 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 males to be men and the fathers to be dads because this is what we desperately need this is what your marriage if you are married desperately needs. This is what your children on this Father's Day desperately need. Now, let's talk about boys becoming men. How do boys become men? Well, first of all, they don't become men themselves or by themselves. It does not happen naturally. Naturally, boys are the opposite of the biblical definition of men. Rather than being a selfless leader, a boy is selfish. We are, by nature, this way. They seek to dominate instead of to serve. An example of this, if, uh, if we were meeting here in the winter, and maybe we'll think about that, uh, if we were meeting here in the winter, there was a big pile of snow over here, it wouldn't take very long for some of the boys that are here to sort of gather around that mountain of snow and say, you know what, I'm king of the mountain. No, you're not. Yes, I am. Let's find out. And they race to the top and they wrestle. Why? Because they want to be the king. They want to be king of the mountain. At the same time, if we were here at a football game at Maryville High School and the cheerleaders came out, how do men in our culture relate to women? Well, there would be a kind of leering and quickly reducing them to less than persons. So boys naturally relate to other men as competitors and to women as 
trophies or toys, which is the opposite of what biblical manhood is all about. Biblical manhood is leading and loving. So how do boys become men? Here's how it is. Listen, everyone, please. Boys become men by having men as heroes. Boys become real men by having real men as heroes. You could ask any real man about the influences in his life that have shaped the character of his life, and all of them will say that there was some significant man in his life that he looked up to. It could be, it could be a teacher, it could be a coach, it could be... Um, the uber cool senior pastor at the church or something like that. But all boys look for somebody to model themselves after somebody to look up to God made boys this way. And listen now, and God by design put a hero in the home with the boy. He put somebody there as a picture of what real manhood looks like. An in-house example of how a man should treat a woman. A daily example of how a man relates to other men and how he relates to his God. Real men become men by having real men as heroes. Now, remember today, I am challenging the boys to be men and fathers to be dads. And these two things go together. Because God's number one candidate for the real man hero in the home is the father. Amen? Okay. Now, fathers, let's talk about fatherhood a little bit. You realize, I hope, that there is a difference between being a father and being a dad. Being a father is really no great accomplishment. That's why I think we've named this entirely wrong this day. It should be Dad's Day, not Father's Day, because uh, it's no great accomplishment. Any male can do it. It's a biological function, no big deal. But being a dad, now this is a lifelong achievement, which is what we want to honor. Friends, listen, a dad is a boy who becomes a biblical man and who models for his son and daughter godly leading and loving in the home. That's a dad. So fathers, let me ask you right now, are you a father or are you a dad? I remember my dad growing up, he would never let us call him father. If we ever did that, it was like, oh, you're in big trouble for that. He wanted us to call him dad or daddy. And might have been because his dad died when he was four and all really his entire life. He never had anybody that he could call his dad. And so I think he just loved that term. I don't know. But I think I understand now because daddy means something. Daddy means leader and daddy means lover. Listen to how the Bible describes it in, in Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, dads, this is... Here's your uh, key verse in the Bible. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. 
Bring them up, it says. Invest in them. Nurture them. Teach them. Guide them. Love them. Live your faith before them. And as you do that in the home, there is something that happens in the heart of the son who sees the leading and loving in the home by the dad, admires the dad, and thinks to himself, although he would never admit it as a teenager, but he thinks to himself, I want to be like him. Now, I've never been a dad. My only experience with this is that I have 41 years of being a son of a dad that I consider to be a great dad. Let me give you two experiences that um, describe what I'm talking about. It's kind of fitting, right, for for me to be telling the story on a football field because uh, sports growing up for me was was a huge part of my life. I played almost like everything, uh, including football. And I remember as a teenager, oftentimes being embarrassed by my dad. I'm a little sad to say that, but I was embarrassed by my dad. Let me tell you why. Uh, my dad not only made it to most of the games, but it was not unusual for me to see my dad at the practices. So we'd be, you know, practicing whatever, football, basketball, and I'd kind of like look in the corner and I would see my dad peeking around the corner. What's going on? How's my son doing? And I would see him and I would be, I would feel almost like an embarrassment inside. Partially because not only did I see my dad peeking around the corner, but my teammates saw my dad peeking around the corner, and they clearly did not like that, and they would mock me because my dad was there watching the practice. This was embarrassing to me as a teenager, but you know what? I never had to wonder if my dad was interested in me or if he loved me. My dad was a professional. He had a very demanding job. And yet, there he is peeking at me around the corner. And for what all the feeling I may have had, you know what? Down deep in my heart, I could think this. Look, my dad cares about me. My dad cares about me. I'm pretty sure that he loves me. And, of course, now I look back on it, and I can see why my teammates didn't particularly like seeing my dad at the practice It's because for most of them, their dads not only didn't make the practices, they didn't make the games. And they grew up in homes where they had a father, but they didn't have a dad. I had a dad, and I'm very thankful for that. Their dads had other priorities. Their dads had higher things on the list. You know, an absent dad says a lot as well. But my dad was there. Here's the other example, and I've told this story often. Many of you have heard this before, but on this Father's Day, it is appropriate. I, uh, I don't know that there has been a night in my life when I would look into my parents' room getting ready for bed at night where I did not see my dad on his knees 
praying. Day in and day out, week in and week out, year in and year out. Now 41 years of me peeking at him and seeing him on his knees at the bedside praying. Now let me ask you, what do you think is the impression on the heart of a boy who's looking for a hero, finds one in his dad, and every night sees this man relating to his God with humility and prayer? What does that do in the heart of a son who's looking for a hero? Not Listen, my dad is no super saint. If he was here right now, he would amen that. And he wasn't grandstanding. It's not like he was just doing it for, okay, oh, the kids are coming. Let me get on my knees. Wasn't that at all? You know what my dad was doing? My dad was doing what is normal for Christians to do. He was praying. And you see, men, listen to me. This is an encouragement to you. It's not like you've got to go read some encyclopedia about how, how to be a dad. Go to some seminar with 53 things that you're not doing that you should be doing. It's not, this is not rocket science. Simply love God. And then live that out in front of your family. So that they see you relating to God in a way where they clearly get the idea that the number one thing in your life is not your job, and it's not the toys in the garage, and it's not uh, your career, and it's not your money, and it's not your hobbies or your toys, where the number one thing in your life is God and His Son, Jesus Christ, and the work that God is doing in this world. And when your sons see that, not when, when they see that, it does something inside of the heart of the son looking for a hero. It rubs off on them. And they want to be like their dad. A godly leader and a godly lover. And then you know what happens after this? Listen, this might be one of the most important things, dad, you will ever hear. You know what happens when you are faithful in loving God, living out that God-centeredness in the relationships that you have with other men and with women, specifically with mom, if there is a mom and all of that, what happens with this is that your son, admiring you as the, the leader and lover, thinks in his heart, I want to be like that. And lives his life in such a direction where now he is having this rub-off effect on your grandchildren. And now you have generational biblical manhood. And let me ask you, dads, on your deathbed, what thought could be better than that? That my son is loving God. That his sons are becoming biblical, godly men. What could be better than that? Now, Malachi 4.6 says it well. Gary actually referred to this in his prayer. I don't know if you heard it or not. Here are the last words of the Old Testament. The last words of prophecy prior to Christ's coming, Malachi 4, 6, describing what happens when God gets control of a family. Here's what it says. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Did you get that? 
when, when humanity breaks down, when the thing comes crashing down, fathers don't have a heart for their children. And then reciprocally, the children don't have a heart for their fathers, which of course is often is largely the world that we live in today. But when the gospel of Jesus Christ takes root in a family and takes root specifically in dad and dad embraces now a God centeredness in his life and begins to relate to his God with worship and obedience and relate to other men with masculinity and relate to his wife with tender love. What happens now is that fathers become dads and sons become men. Generational leaders and lovers. You know, in many ways, we could say that the real test of our ministry is not the fact that we used to fit into the auditorium at Maryville High School, but we can't now. Now we're here on the home grandstands, and who knows, maybe someday we'll have a center stage, and this will be full as well. For all of that, that is not necessarily a measure of success for our church. You want to know a great way to measure success in a church? Look at the males in the church. Are they, are they men or are they boys? We could look at the families. Are there fathers there or are there dads? Do they lead? Do they love? Are their sons developing the strength of character to lead and the heart of love to love their families? And is this the direction of their life towards the things of God? That would be a measure of how well we're doing here, is to look at the males in the church. Women, God bless you, okay? Probably every church would say the women are far outstretch the men in their godliness and spirituality. That's why looking at the men is a measure. And so on this Father's Day, this is what I want to say to you, that this is manhood in the kingdom of God. It is not feminine women. It is not emasculated women. It, or, uh, do I say that wrong? It is not feminine women. Is that what I just said? That's another message. We're for that. We were promoting femininity amongst the women. We are not promoting femininity amongst the men. Real men loving God, loving other men, loving and leading their wives. This is godliness. I would call it Christianity with hair on its chest. I just like that. That's what we need. We need hairy chested, godly men. <laughs> we don't want to see that right now, though. Let me emphasize that. And I'm coming to the conclusion of my message. I shouldn't have joked right there. So listen now. Let's get serious again. Here's my final thought for you. We need men who lead and men who love. That's what we need. And I pray that God would work in our church and in our ministries and in our family and make all of our boys men and all of our fathers dads. Happy Father's Day. Let's pray together. Father, today we pray to that end. Lord, we know that when you designed us, made us in your image, male and female, that you meant something by that. And Lord, in all of the confusion today where people don't know what that means and they blur the lines and everything's a buy 
Lord, I pray that we would be men and women as you designed it, that we would embrace that and that we would say to our sons and our daughters and to a watching world that there is a God who is alive and who can transform not just our hearts, but also our homes and our communities. May us, may we as a church get there, I pray. I pray for the dads today, Lord, that you would just put this thought as a challenge to them, that they might be leaders and that they might be lovers in the home, that they would lead with with conviction, but that they would agape love their wives and their children. And by doing this, Lord, I pray that we would picture the love that Christ has for the church. And in doing this, may you receive the glory. So on this Father's Day, here at Maryville High School, gathered together, the home field uh, stands, Lord, I pray that you would do a good work in our church. Continue the good work that you're doing. And in all things, may Jesus Christ be praised to the glory of God the Father. It's all about him. Amen.